0: Let's all go to the lobby, let's all go to the lobby,
1: let's all go to the lobby. Fuck the front
0: line, bitch. Get me you fucking pricks, move, and I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you. It's showtime,
1: folks. Welcome, everybody, to another Cinema Flare podcast here on CinemaFlare.com and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm your host, Wade Needham, and I'll take you on this journey of this cinematic delight known as Cinema Flair. I mean, how many times can I say Cinema Flare here on in the intro? I got a special guest here on Cinema Flare. Uh, he's been a guest many, many times on here. He is the co-host of Two Guys Drinking. He's also part of the Beer History Podcast. The one, the only, the incomparable DA. What's up, DA? What does incomparable mean?
0: I don't know. I've heard it, but I don't think I've ever looked it up.
1: How about this? You're the incompromisable. What? Yeah. Because you're Uh, a straight arrow. I would like people to know that I'm straight. A straight? No, no, no. I know you're straight. A straight arrow, DA. A flecha Fugas. (laughs) Uh, No, wait, that's a shooting arrow, isn't it?
0: I I, I don't speak Chinese. Uh, Was his finisher the uh,
1: (laughs) falcon arrow? No, that was Anthony Idol's. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. He called it the Idolizer. That Idolizer or edelizer, Anyway, it's it's dead. Yeah. It it is. It it very much is. Um, the last time DA was on the show, he was also uh joined by Jeff, who does uh Bold One movie reviews, and uh the three of us were talking about the movie Best of the Best and a bunch of other things in the eighties and early nineties and whatnot. And it got me thinking about one of my favorite movies in the early 90s that took place. And I haven't, hadn't seen it in, in a long, long minute. And uh, when I was a kid growing up, I, I, I went and I saw this movie about three or four times in the movie theater. I just absolutely loved it. Rented it so many times at the video store. I, I think the people at the video store almost gave me a free copy of it at one point, D.A., but um, we're talking about 1992's Stay Tuned. And you and I recently watched this film, and this was the first time that you'd ever seen this, right?
0: Yeah, it was sort of like a uh, same situation is best of the best. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what genre it was. I didn't know who
1: was in it. And,
0: uh, yeah.
1: All right, so when I asked you before we watched the movie, I said, Hey, you want to watch this movie? It's called Stay Tuned. What was your first thoughts? Like, just from the title?
0: Honestly, I didn't really know what to think. Stay tuned, you know, is that common phrase that everybody uses at the end of shows. Stay tuned, or before commercials, I guess I should say. You know, something's coming up. So I I guess to a, I kind of thought maybe it was uh, TV-based in in some way, shape, or form. But I, I honestly didn't know what to expect.
1: Okay. Um, so this movie here, stay tuned. 1992. You, uh, you were a young one when this came out. Yeah. My, uh, sister was born when this came out and I was, uh, four years old, pal. Wow. Four years old. Wow. You know, this movie it's 30 years old. Yeah, it is right. In 92, 2022. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> It really puts it into perspective and makes me feel uh, a lot older than what I thought I was, which doesn't make sense because, you know, age is a number, a number is an integer, an integer is math, and math never lies, right? That's right, brother. <laughs> That's right, brother. Uh, Nineteen ninety. man, I was nine years old when this came out. Uh, I, I could have sworn I was older when this came out, but... That's I guess that's what happens, right? That's the coordinated uh, ma- management of meaning, uh, a communication uh, theory there. Uh, memories lived versus uh, stories told,
0: you know. It it's really interesting because I, I I try to think back every once in a while what was my first movie going experience, and I mean I feel like the first movie I saw in theater was The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I can I can still remember. Do you remember uh, back in the old days when you would go to a movie theater? They wouldn't necessarily, uh, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, in, in this theater, they were showing just images of advertisements and they would have music playing in the background, like popular music. Uh-huh. And, and and the only song that I remember from my first movie-going experience during the pre-ad, or when the ads were rolling, uh, was uh, Jeremy by uh, Pearl Jam.
1: Okay. That definitely dates uh when uh your first movie experience was the grunge era early 90s yeah
0: but it it's it, like you said it's just it's crazy that we have these these memories the you know and i get i can remember that so vividly like just, but to, you said you've seen this movie three times in the theater like That was unheard of back in the day, unless it was like a Star Wars or something. Nobody necessarily went back to the theater to watch something more than once.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember if there was any other movies that I could think of on the top of my head that I went and saw more than once growing up in the movie theater. Um, Power Rangers movie in 95, I think I saw that twice. And I think I I put myself through the torture of going and seeing a Waterworld twice. (laughs) <laughs>
0: I I know me as an adult. I go see movies more than once because this is the the world that we live in where you, you kind of have to watch them. A lot of the movies that I watch, you have to watch more than once to to get the the full story. But yeah, yeah. As I guess I guess that's just the independence I have as an adult. I can actually do that. Before I was dependent on my uh, parents. You know, be like, oh, we'll take you
1: yeah you know, well movies were a lot cheaper back then too, so I remember uh like where I grew up, we had to go to Banning California for the movie theater, and they had like three screens I mean, you know we just we discussed this in the last podcast together, but um you know movie tickets were very, very cheap for us at that movie theater. I think they were like four bucks a movie. Well, was another
0: thing too is uh, he said it was in banning, right, so I remember. The closest movie theater for me was, yeah, about a good 20, maybe 30 minutes away. So that's another reason why I didn't go to the movie theater as often. But now, as adults, my movie theater is right across the street, literally right across the street with an IMAX. And yours is, what, about a 10-minute the power chair walk? Yeah, yeah. A- hop, 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 hop in the
1: power chair it doesn't take me more than 15 minutes, depending on uh, foot traffic. That's uh, that's disabled talk for people that are walking on the sidewalk, DA. You <laughs> were clarifying, because
0: I was like, wait, foot foot traffic. Yeah. Uh, on average, a lot of people don't usually walk in the streets anymore, right? They all got cars and, and scooters and, and those
1: Healy wheels that all the kids are using. Healy wheels? Man, yeah. Well, sticking with the early 90s theme here. Uh <laughs> um state all right let's talk a little bit more about uh some of the facts here real quick of the movie uh stay tuned uh, because people don't want to hear us with our little life (laughs) stories and shit right they tune they they're they're tuning in for stay tuned which we're not telling them to stay tuned uh it's a 1992 american fantasy comedy film i've never heard of those words put together like that in that combination before (laughs) Wait, say it one more time because I don't think I fully grasp that. American fantasy comedy film. That's my favorite kind of porn. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Not to be confused with the Asian porn. Oh, Jesus Christ. Alright, it was uh, directed by Peter Hyams, written by Jim Ginwine and uh, Tom S. Parker. It stars John Ritter, Pam Dauber, Jeffrey Jones and Eugene levy Tim Burton was originally chosen to be the director on account of his art and style, but then he left to direct Batman Returns instead
0: yeah i- I could definitely see uh somewhat of a Burton influence on this film not not as
1: dark as, as Burton likes to go, but it was definitely there on the line yeah um i didn't i I never knew that fact until right now after I've just read that, that that Tim Burton was originally going to direct this. Um, I think that if he would have directed it, I think it would have been a little bit more uh, ingrained in pop culture history uh, as opposed to, um, no offense to Peter Hyams, I've never heard his name until right now. (laughs) But uh, let me pull up his... uh, his uh his page here. Let's see what what else has Peter Hyams done? His filmography starts in nineteen seventy one with uh a film called TR Baskin. Uh oh he was he was the director of the Monster Squad uh and the Presidio. He did uh Time Cop, Sudden Death, End of Days. Okay, so he's got a pretty decent freaking resume. They have a pretty decent resume of shitty movies. What are you talking about? Shitty. Movies? End of days.
0: Come on. Time cop. Never seen it. Never seen it. Oh, Actually, I wait see. a minute. know He no way, I, he, I
1: he he didn't direct Monster Squad. It says here he was an executive producer. So that was that's probably like the second best movie on this whole list of oh, things wow. that he was part of. Yeah, I think Stay Tuned. I think was you know better than Monster Squad, but they are also two whole different animals, but uh yeah, I mean I guess he 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 popped out some good stuff, but I mean <laughs> he's nowhere let's be honest here right he's nowhere near the level of Tim Burton, yeah, in term of uh both you know art style and name, but yeah, but anyway, the plot of the movie is is it's very very simple um. John Ritter and Pam Dauber they're a married couple they're having issues John Ritter he's obsessed with television she's had enough she's about to leave Uh, John Ritter gets a knock on the door it's Jeffrey Jones Uh, you know he played a lot of you know assholes in the 80's he's an asshole in real life because he's had history with pedophilia and whatnot. so fuck him Um, Jeffrey Jones is the main villain he's the antagonist in this he plays Spike Uh, Spike Knocks on his door, tries to sell him a, a big over the top, you know, satellite television system. He's uh John Ritter says no because he's having problems with his wife. He offers them a free trial. He can't resist, they get it installed. Long story short, they uh the married couple get sucked into the uh the satellite dish and they have to last twenty-four hours. And if they last twenty-four hours, they get to go back. If not, then satan the devil himself gets their souls and eugene levy plays the assistant to jeffrey jones who pisses them off in the movie and then he himself gets sucked in and he kind of turns face the wrestling terms are the good guy and uh helps them get out of it pretty much but there's a lot of pop culture references uh in this in this movie so I, I, did you know, did, I, did i describe it okay <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you described it okay. Uh
0: what I saw immediately that really threw me off was how big that fucking satellite was. <laughs> it, it looked like the dish from the Death Star <laughs> that was going to blow up a planet. <laughs> I was just waiting for uh Darth Vader to, like
1: do as you wish. Destroy Alderaan. I <laughs> know uh, anyway, that's not the line, but eh. well, that dish definitely like it didn't mess up uh it didn't destroy a planet, but it destroyed those two people's worlds. That's for sure. Flip them upside down, man.
0: And you hit the head, the nail on the head when you said tons of pop culture references. It started right from the first shot where uh, Jeffrey Jones's character Spike shows up to give one of the remotes to uh, Cena Bombs, I think they were called, or something like that. Uh-huh. And, you know, that's that iconic shot of anyone getting off of a taxi or something from The Exorcist where you're panning down and then you come up. But anyway, nonetheless, there is just pop culture references out the rear in this movie. And I'm not necessarily against it. I thought it was uh, it definitely added to the flair. Can I say
1: that? Can I say flair? Uh, it, you, you're on cinema flair. So yeah, it works. <laughs> it added to the flair of the movie. <laughs> um, Let's see here. Uh, as far as production goes, it says the script was purchased by Warner Brothers for $750,000. It's a lot of money for a script. Yeah. If you think back in what 92
0: days, hell $750,000 right now is a lot of money. So back then you're probably thinking close to a market value with inflation and stuff like that. Probably at least over a million for this script. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't know exactly what they saw in the script. Uh,
1: Well, maybe when they sold the script, Tim Burton was attached. Ah, okay. That, that must've been it then. It had to have been. It was a beaten switch. <laughs> it was. It really much, so much was. Uh, Stay tuned, open at number six in the U.S., uh, which the L.A. Times called it a fuzzy reception. The film grossed $10.7 million in the U.S. and Canada and grossed only $1 million internationally for a worldwide total of $12 million. And what was the budget on this? Uh, I don't see. They didn't list it. So I don't know if it's, uh, like, embarrassing or what, but you know they spent a pretty penny based off of the, a lot of the special effects in it.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're spending close to a million just to get the script, yeah, and then you throw in the special effects, and then you throw in John Ritter, who was a name at the time. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he probably got a, quite a few million for just his appearance in this one. And, and even Jeffrey Jones, you know, for being an asshole and a prick. Uh, He probably, you know, he had a name back then too. So he probably got a pretty penny, especially being in a starring role.
1: Yeah. This, I, I want to say that this might've been like, uh, if, if not his peak, it was like the first step down from his peak, because I don't remember him in, in a lot of stuff after this up until Deadwood came out on HBO in 2004. So it was like 12 years that I didn't see this guy anywhere but I mean that doesn't mean that he didn't do anything. Let's let's pull his thing up real quick. Let's see what Jeffrey Jones did in between those years.
0: While you're doing that, according to IMDb, it says the budget was about uh 25 million and and I, I would believe that. I would probably say it's even more if you could, if you throw in marketing. Yeah. You're probably looking at about 35 to 40,
1: maybe even 50 million. <clears throat> Okay, so it says... Oh, wow, yeah, I forgot. Holy crap. Um, (laughs) Jeffrey Jones was also in uh, Mom and Dad Save the World, which also came out in 92. I I totally forgot about that. He co-starred with Terry Garr and John Lovitz. And uh, Kathy Ireland was in that, too. Um, That's a good one. You know, a lot of people I remember would uh they would get these two films mixed up mom and dad save the world and stay tuned because they're very similar and now that i think about it jeffrey jones was in both of them jeffrey jones played a good guy in the other movie he played a bad guy in stay tuned i think stay tuned was definitely the stronger of the two films and i'm not saying that just because john lovitz was in this one but um so you can tell I, i didn't love it but Uh, Jeffrey Jones, in between Stay Tuned and and, uh, Deadwood, he actually, wow, he did do quite a few movies. He was in Ed Wood, he was in House Guest, The Devil's Advocate, The Pest, Stuart Little, Sleepy Hollow, Company Man, Heartbreakers, Dr. Doolittle 2, and uh, How High, just to name a few. So those are actually pretty big things. I had forgotten that he was in uh Who Framed Harry Crumb? Yeah, who's Harry Crumb? Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, who's Harry Crumb? Yeah.
1: Yeah, oh he did he did a lot of really uh big things in uh in the eighties. Uh Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh Howard the Duck, Beetlejuice. Those uh, you know, he scared the crap out of me in Beetlejuice not Beetlejuice, but uh Howard the Duck when uh he uh became the dark overlord of the universe okay just the special effects like when they're sitting there in the diner and and like the his eyes light up and he's like all talking all weird you know like you know like that scared the crap out of me dude like i loved the movie but i would always turn it off when that part would come on did a good job i guess made you hate him yeah, I guess I guess it's uh, you know, he stuck with the theme of scaring little kids. Nah. <laughs> but um there was uh some cameos from celebrities. it's funny, it's a movie, of course. Uh, people that are making these movies they're celebrities themselves, right? But there's cameos from other celebrities, huge pop culture names at the time that were in this uh Captain Lou Albano. Was in this? Oh, yeah! I was. <laughs> that really threw me off. When I was like, "Oh, they're doing a, a
0: wrestling gimmick, and they're doing it in a boxy ring." So, okay, that's it. Oh <laughs> crap! That's Captain Lou Battle
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not mis- if I'm not mistaken, I think one of the uh, the wrestlers, the male wrestler, that was the one man gang. Was the one
0: man gang also tugboat?
1: No, that was uh Tugboat Fred Ottman. He was Typhoon. Oh,
0: Uncle Fred, yeah. Yeah,
1: the Shockmaster. Um I don't recall who the the woman wrestler was. Um but definitely uh One Man Gang or Akeem the South African Dream which was uh such a racist shit gimmick. <laughs> Not much has changed in the world of professional wrestling, though, right? You always got to you got to have the foreign guy go uh, as the villain in the VFW halls, right? Now the good old American come out and whoop his ass in front of all the veterans. That's, that's hey, it a sells drope. tickets. People go home happy. It sells tickets to a certain demographic nowadays. Yeah, yeah. That demographic is shrinking. No pun intended. Yeah. it will be on life support pretty soon. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. Another. Uh, set of cameos that I, at the time, I really popped for because I was a huge fan, still a huge fan of this act. salt and Peppa were in this movie, and and, uh, DJ uh, Spinderella was uh, there as well, the whole act. Um, They did the music video, and then uh, John Ritter playing the role of uh, like a prince wannabe. (laughs) What would you you refer to him as? Because he was in
0: that uh, yellow get-up. He looked like, uh, what was it again? That was Prince. Yeah, but didn't you say something else when we were watching it? You looked like uh looked Oh like, shit. Yeah,
1: the lady on the Chiquita banana. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he had like a basket of fruit yeah. on his head or something, you know? Like <laughs> um but yeah, that was uh I mean, god, there's so much we could talk about with this movie. And and the the biggest part was when they had to go from like channel to channel or show to show the different pop culture references to, to television shows of that current time and the past. There's a whole list of them. There's a whole list right here. They did uh, the the Rooney Tunes, where uh, Roy and Helen, you know, John Ritter and Pam Daubert, they were they were mice trying to evade a mechanical cat as a spoof on Looney Tunes.
0: I had forgotten about that, too. That That must have cost a pretty penny to get that. It's a whole scene animated. And it wasn't a short scene by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Yeah. Um, A spoof on WWE, the World Wrestling Federation at the time. It was the Underworld Wrestling Federation. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, in all these notes, they only talk about the appearance of Captain Lou Albano. Nobody, Any of these notes mention the one-man gang, which saddens me that this guy didn't get his credit.
0: You know, as bad as the Underworld Wrestling Federation is, they still won't do a show in Saudi Arabia.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Wow. There you go. (laughs) First blood or blood money, brother. (laughs) They had um, different strokes, which... Oh, my God. That was so messed up.
0: (laughs) When I was watching that, at first I was like, what's going on? And then you see these two old guys. One of them has a different reaction than the other one. And then the title comes up and it says different strokes. And I'm like, ooh. (laughs) I mean,
1: I I see what they did there, but I I don't know if I can get on with that one. Yeah, that that was a little uh, iffy. Uh, They uh, did a spoof on uh, MTV. They called it HTV, you know, for Hell TV. Uh, and that was where the cameos from Salt and Pepper uh, took place. They did the music video. There was a, you know, you, you mentioned at the very beginning of the movie that they the kind of did like an homage to um, what did you say? It was uh, the Exorcist. Uh, the Exorcist. Yeah, yeah. They uh, they also did um, an homage to Doctor Strangelove and Spike's oh. control center.
0: Oh uh, yeah. Okay. It yep. was kind of yep.
1: modeled after the War Room.
0: Exactly. Yep. Now I see it.
1: I didn't see it at first, but now that they've pointed it out, I see it. Yep. Yep. Uh, the, the the facts of life, they had the facts of life support. (laughs) That was another one that was like, uh, (laughs) like,
0: like, (laughs) there just a bunch of new guys that were there and they're like, just throwing
1: out ideas and they just said yes to everything. (laughs) It's like the opposite end of the spectrum when you're coming up with a porn parody name. Yeah. Instead of my three sons, I had my three sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh the the
0: exercising or exercise or something like that. It was like you know, if you're exercising as the exorcist with the head spitting and the and then they're like, All right, get ready to re decurgitate and that's when he changed the channel. I was like, Thank God.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's so many good ones on here. Instead of I Love Lucy, that I Love Lucifer. <laughs> that made me trouble. I thought that one... I mean, that one was uh, definitely pretty good. I know another one that that got you pretty good. Instead of the Golden Girls, they had the Golden Ghouls. <laughs> yeah. Which, it that, that joke hits a lot differently in 2022 now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. Um... Driving over Miss Daisy. <laughs> that was so stupid.
0: <laughs> and the Yogi beer one. I was like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, when the kid was drinking the beer and he was like, hey, babe, give me another pancake. And his dad's like, hell yeah. <laughs> the, what
0: was the tagline? It was something about all the beer with no alcohol, but still makes you act just like dad.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And here's one that got you to pop real big. I know, the David Dukes of Hazard. <laughs>
0: oh man! I was like, oh crap! I had forgotten that guy's been a racist
1: for in the in the limelight for uh, quite some time. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I remember as a kid hearing about him on the news. That was a long, think, long time ago.
0: I think the first one that was shown. That kind of made me go, "What the was three men and a rosemary's baby?"
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that was that was the first one, right? That was show. Yeah, he was checking out the trial.
0: Because <laughs> I, I immediately go, "Oh wait, this is three men and baby," and then the baby throws up, and then it goes three men and rosemary's baby. <laughs> and
1: I was like, "Ah!" <laughs> I think one of the biggest. Pop culture references out of this uh, biggest spoof that they did because it was so red hot at the time, so red hot that a year later it actually uh, they or maybe even the same year they spun out an actual movie of this. But the uh, SNL skits of Wayne's World and they did uh, yeah. Dwayne's Underworld mm-hmm. and the uh, extreme close up where they would ram the camera into John Ritter's head. <laughs> That was good stuff.
0: I like it when they're like, uh, "Let's check out your wife," and uh, you know they pulled out the magazine and it had the the four flaps, and they're like, <laughs> pretty good." I'm surprised that they, they were those two did a really good impression. I was surprised that it wasn't uh, Dan Garvey and uh, Mike
1: Myers. Yeah, yeah, My, hey, 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 man, you know, I I just you could you can see why, right? why I liked this movie so much. Oh yeah. It's all over the place. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's definitely a a trip down memory lane, even 30 years after it came out, rewatching it. And it just, it still felt fresh to me. Um, one last pop culture reference about this. And this is the one I think like, if anybody ever talks about stay tuned, this is the one scene that everyone references when he's, when John Ritter's flipping through the channels and he shows up on the set of three's company, <laughs> the door swings open <laughs> and there is uh Chrissy and Janet. That were the, the names, right? Chrissy and Janet. And they're like, where have you been? And the music hits. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I had a very Delayed response when I saw this Because I was like no way Thinking about it no this can't be true And then you hear the music and then I was like what <laughs> are, you, are you
1: kidding me And then they do that That zoom in that you love <laughs> Right to his face And he's like "Ah!" And he changes the channel It was just so short lived like not even what twenty second out of it, the whole was- movie Easily the shortest
0: scene in the entire movie. <laughs> but it oh my goodness, it made the biggest impact. And, and and you think about it, you had to do that with John Ritter, you had to spoof that scene that, <laughs> that show.
1: Oh yeah, man, because three's company. Oh jeez. I remember watching uh reruns of that when I was growing up. Uh the show ended Watch when I was a rerun. Like, oh, a rerun. Uh that's something I don't do.
0: you don't run at all
1: yeah but i you know growing up you know i would watch these reruns on tv uh in the middle of the day they'd always have like the same ones uh like where i grew up on uh, fox they would play um i love lucy from like 10 to 11 i think it was three's company from 11 to noon it would be Gilligan's Island from like noon to one. And then I'd watch like Muppet babies after that. It was just, it's so sad. This is American culture. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about being a kid, right? Being like five or six years old. And I had a TV schedule. That's sad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I remember, uh, you know, since I'm a little bit younger than you, they would play those on, uh, at night. I think it was on Nick at night when it would switch over and play those shows that, I didn't necessarily cave care for, uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, I remember I love Lucy and three scouts and pretty much all the ones you named, I guess after they couldn't no longer perform during at the five o'clock spot, they're like, let's move into midnight.
1: I remember when Nick at night came out. Um, they they had uh, a lot of really good shows on, I think they, they played uh, episodes of taxi for a while on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Mork and Mindy, which, ironically, Pam Dauber was in that. Yeah. Yeah. Nano uh, Nano. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good show, man. That was a good one. Um, and then, you know, later on, they would play, you know, shows that eventually became, uh, you know, classics looking back after they were, you know, no longer airing. Nick at Night would play, you know, like episodes of, like, Roseanne, you know, stuff like that. Um You know, a lot of the old uh, ABC shows that were big hits in the 90s, like uh, Grace Under Fire. I don't know if you remember that show. That was a good one. No, I don't. Um, You know, maybe one of these days we should do an episode where we just kind of like look back at like 90s television or or we could do like a retrospective TGIF or something.
0: I was going to say that could be a whole you're talking about a whole series. I don't think we could do just one episode on that. The 90s that, that, that was the height of television if you ask me. I I don't think we have today the same amount of good shows that we had back in the 90s. No. No. And, and maybe I'm being biased, but that's the way I feel.
1: Yeah, I, you know, there's a, a lot more options of there things is. to watch today, but that just means that the quality is just diluted big time. I,
0: I kind of agree. And I, I disagree. I'm kind of neutral, but uh, I feel like, like you said, there's so many options. It's uh very hard unless something's super popular to find someone else that watches the same stuff that you do. You know, a lot of people watch, you know, uh, what's the show I can think of stranger things, you know, everybody just brings up stranger things. Cause that was, you know, a phenomenon in, in television, if you want to call it that, but streaming, uh, so everybody was watching it, which I haven't watched it and and really don't have any interest, but y- y- you think about the walking dead too, is another one where a lot of people were, but I, I think back in the nineties, all the shows I was watching, all my friends were watching, like we all watched the same stuff.
1: Yeah, I, no, I'm, I, I totally agree with you on that. I really do. Um, I, I think, I think a big part of, uh, talking about Stranger Things real quick, I think a big part of why that became huge was uh, the demographics for it. Um, It's a period piece. It's set in the 80s. Anytime you do any kind of period pieces and you target towards that demographic of people that grew up in that era and they watch it, they get memories. It's like me watching Stay Tuned. I love it because of all these references. It's a trip down memory lane. It's a feel-good experience. And, And I think a lot of people had that with something like stranger things i think with walking dead i think it's similar but you know it's because like you had an adaptation from a comic book to a tv show usually when you do that with like a very popular publication whether it's a comic book a graphic novel a regular novel or anything like that you take one of those and you adapt it over to to film or television you've already got a built-in audience to begin with and it's going to be big then and a lot of people have what's called FOMO, fear of missing out. So yeah. people that aren't normally into that, they see other people into it, and they're like, well, I don't want to miss out on this. And they join in, the the bandwagoners, you know, and then kind of split that herd off into like they continue to be bandwagon, and the other half actually become legitimate, genuine fans. And I wasn't with the whole Stranger Things strange uh, when that first came out. It came out in 2016, I believe. I didn't watch Stranger Things until the summer of, oh, man, was it 2018 or 2019? No, I think it was 2019. Okay. And what sold me on it was uh, this, this third season had just come out, and I saw a clip on YouTube. It was the uh, the clip from season three where, um, where Dusty's girlfriend forced him to sing the never ending story song and I lost my shit. <laughs> I was like, all right, maybe this is something that I should get into. Cause like when I first heard of stranger things and they were like, Oh yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, like a thriller and they got these monsters and all this stuff. I was like, fuck that. That's not my thing. But when I realized like it was more than that. And then they did the never ending story thing. and I was a like, big movie when I was growing up, loved the never ending story. It caught what I was just talking about that. I grew up in that era. It hit home to me. It's like when you're listening to the radio and the DJ starts like saying, Hey, don't hit that pothole on first street. And you're like, Hey, I hit that pothole every day. This guy drives the same route that I do. That's cool. I'm going to listen to him. Uh-huh. You know, you localize it. Yeah. Yeah. So. man, We really went on a whole tangent on that. One. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of did. Yeah, well, let's th- bring it back to stay tuned. So, anyways, <laughs> so talk about references. There you go. That's a great <laughs> reference. Uh, let's talk about the reception real quick of this before we uh, head out. Uh, the film it, it was not screened for film critics, uh, and it holds a forty-seven percent approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, seventeen reviews. Um. Stephen Holden of the New York times called the film a cleverly plotted movie based on a nifty satiric concept, but said that most of its takeoffs show no feel for genre and no genuine wit. Would you agree with that?
0: Um, I don't know. I feel like that's a little bit too harsh. I I do feel like it's kind of like a mindless flick to an extent, but at the same time, I,
1: I don't think it's mindless. I I don't think it's mindless either. Um I think I'm thinking about this right now, and God, I wish I was like I'm I am in school, but I wish I was in my undergrad studies for communications. At, right? I, I wish I was still in that right now because I want a write, I want to write a paper about this movie now. Because this is just this would be right up my alley if I was like if we would have Watched this and did a podcast on it four years ago. Oh, easily, dude. Easily. I would have, uh, I would have connected this film to, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, who, I can't even remember now. The guy, the, uh, the medium is the message. Uh, let me look that up. I, I can't remember the name. It was, uh, uh, Marshall McLuhan. He said that the medium is the message and uh this is totally true it It hits home to that It's about consumption of television and how it took over uh you know the the phenomenon that it took over uh people it it changed their their outlook towards how they socialize with each other, how they interact with each other they do all these different things shorter attention spans you're obsessed with television kind of thing it ruins relationships interpersonal relationships. It brings out more uh, anger in people. And then it also can have an effect that goes into what's called um, the cultivation theory, where you watch so much television that you start believing that the actual legit outside world is what you see from the television instead of actually opening up your door, going outside and actually experiencing the world. And that's huge today because there's a lot of people that won't go outside because they watch the news and they said, I'm not opening my door because I'll get shot now logistically what are the what are the odds and the statistics of you going outside going shopping and getting shot in the grocery store? It's honestly not that high right
0: i i mean, I, I don't have the numbers in front of you but i I would assume location is a big uh uh influence there where are you you know where are you going shopping what are you shopping for? There's a lot of factors, but you know, I, I think about that. When I think about this movie, I think about it as I, what I la- enjoyed about it. I didn't really need to invest myself into it no, no, per se. It, like I didn't have to watch any previous episodes or uh, sagas. I could go in blindly, enjoy it. It ended on a high note. And I didn't really have to invest a lot of my brain power in it. I kind of just let the movie go. And there are movies where you have to sit there and like, oh, okay, this guy's the killer or this guy's doing this or they're getting ready to do a heist or something. And and it really, really takes over instead of just letting the movie play out.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you on that. Um I, I think while this movie has a deep message, it doesn't take a lot. They they kind of made it Easy to digest. To realize yeah, like, what's going on, you know, like there's more important things than watching a, a screen. Yeah, they definitely kept it simple. Very simple, very very simple, and I they hid that, they hid that well underneath all these references to everything else that had had paved the way for this movie to even be made. Yeah, yeah, it's a feel it's a feel good movie. Really, at the end of it. And there was a, I remember a couple times when we were watching it. You know, we we had brought up the movie Click. Yeah, and Click is pretty much the same thing. I think I think Click went a little bit on the on the deeper end of trying to have the, you know, the human story, the human soul story, you know, a connection and all that kind of stuff. I think they they went in a different route. It was more modernized. It was updated, less pop culture references. I don't even think there were really any pop culture references, it was more personalized towards that family. But um yeah. I think I think uh as for for me, what Click did was it focused
0: more on the the ending story, you Mm -hmm. know, the emotional part of it. And you know, you're going in thinking you're getting a comedy, where this one, I'm sure if I saw a trailer for it, I would know that I'm getting a comedy and, and it stayed a, co- a comedy all the way through with a little bit of suspense in, towards the end there, but it never lost what it intended to be. And that, and
1: that was a comedy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it, we we didn't talk much about this, but I, I think um, this is one of Eugene Levy's all time greatest works, I think. I think he was fantastic in this movie too. And he I don't think he gets enough credit in this because we were talking about Jeffrey Jones and John Ritter. Eugene Levy, man. Dude was a legend. There's so many iconic roles in the eighties, nineties, and even the two thousands and whatnot.
0: I, I I gotta agree with you there. Like, yeah, I, I felt they underutilized him in this movie. He's only in a handful of scenes but he
1: could have brought so much more. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen him a little bit more in there. Um, it's a funny guy, man. <laughs> Eugene Levy. a Classic. Yeah. Classic. The, fucking let's real quick before we head out, let's, let's kind of throw some of his body of work out there for people in case. If, God forbid, in case anybody out there has not heard of Eugene <laughs> Levy. Um, He was uh, Foxy Lady, Nothing Personal, Heavy Metal, National Lampoon's Vacation. He was the salesman, the car salesman. Uh, He was in Splash, Armed and Dangerous, one of my all-time favorites. Uh, Stay tuned, of course. uh, Almost Heroes, Holy Man. You can't talk about Eugene Levy and not mention his appearances in all the American Pie movies. (laughs) Playing Jim's dad. Um,
0: good stuff there. Can you, can we classify Eugene Levy as a character actor or is that, uh, Oh man. I, I mean, the only leading role that I could think of that he had was in Chet's Creek.
1: Well, all right. Who do you think was the star of armed and dangerous? Would you make the number one guy, John Candy or Eugene Levy? Cause they kind of had them split. I don't remember that.
0: Did we did we watch that? I don't think I've watched that one.
1: Oh my god. If you haven't watched it, we are definitely watching it.
0: Armed and Dangerous? You just gotta add
1: it to the list. Oh dude, you holy crap, you will love Armed and Dangerous, bro. <laughs> let me let me pull it up real quick. Let me read the preview for it for you. Should I go in blind? Like how I've done for the past two movies? Oh man, this one this may not be the kind that you'd want to go in blind on. Um let's see. The the Wikipedia doesn't have the synopsis for it. Yeah, I'm using a synopsis. <laughs> you mean the plot? <laughs> uh all right. Uh, here's here's the log line. I'll give you the log line. That it's kinda like log in between. Line. Yeah. The, Lincoln Lincoln log line. No, it's, uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's in between like saying, here's the title of the movie. And then here's the synopsis of it. It's like in between. Usually when you, when you're a screenwriter or you're the producer and you want to go to a studio and sell your movie, you go in with a log line. And if like, that's the first thing people hear about the movie and they'll usually buy a movie. Or a script based off of just the log line alone. The log line is crucial in the selling process of a screenplay, especially for first time writers. Okay. But here is the log line for Armed and Dangerous A fired cop and useless lawyer sign up as security guards and find they've joined a corrupt union. <laughs> useless.
0: <laughs> wow, okay. Um,
1: yeah, the, the story was uh, written by Brian Grazer, James Keach, and Harold Ramis.
0: Oh, okay, all right. There's a name I recognize.
1: Yeah, stars John Candy, Meg Ryan, and Eugene Levy. And according to IMDb here, John Candy gets first billing, so I guess we got the answer to that.
0: Well, but, I, I I don't think there was uh, hardly any movies that John
1: Candy was in where he didn't get first billed. Um, God, I'm going to feel like a dick right now because the last time you made a statement like that, I popped off, uh, the hangover movies, (laughs) but home alone. I don't
0: remember him in home alone.
1: Okay. Yeah. Him and his band, the polka band, they drove, uh, (laughs) mom home.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: I just I'm just throwing it out there. I know I don't. All right, mean, I all don't, right. I don't, I don't mean to be a dick.
0: <laughs> if Jeff hey, if
1: Jeff was here, he would probably correct me on some a lot yeah. of things. Actually,
0: yeah, you got you got to throw out them facts when they're when they're legit. We don't want to give out fake news here, <laughs> on, on movies. Yeah,
1: no, th- this Armed and Dangerous. If it, it, you really think about it, like at that time, you know, I don't want to like I'm, I don't want to downplayed the cast but at that time the cast was probably just like oh okay cool i've seen a lot of these guys in movies you think back now 2022 and look back at this cast list you're like holy crap this is an awesome ensemble cast john candy meg ryan eugene levy uh robert uh logia brian james jonathan banks who's still working he uh is on breaking bad and better call saul uh, you have uh, one of your favorites, Larry Hankin. He played the fake Kramer in Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> He's in this, <laughs> okay? Uh, yeah, just a lot of people, man. And there, there's a there's a couple pop culture references uh, in this movie too. I I think I, I think you'd really like it.
0: All right, I, I guess our next movie has been decided, at least for you and I to watch
1: together. Yeah. All right. All right, DA, before we head out, any final thoughts on Stay Tuned? Uh, Stay Tuned was definitely uh, a different type
0: of movie. You know, I don't even know how to describe it. it it's, it's definitely different than what you would think it was about or what we've, we've even talked about. It, you just got to watch it and, and make your own decision. That's the best way I can put it.
1: All right, fair enough. One of my all-time favorites. I, I would put it at my top uh, top 25 favorite movies of all time. It might round it off at 25 or 24, but it's definitely up there. Um, DA, any shout outs, any plugs, um, any rants?
0: (laughs) Listen here. I just want to, anyway, I just want to make sure that everybody listens to my voice some more, whether it be on Two Guys Drinking, where you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts, or. The beer history podcast do you like beer do you like history do you like beer history then visit the beer history to find out where you can listen to our episodes or
1: watch it on youtube oh you guys got a youtube show too we do have a youtube show look at these fancy guys over here Definitely check that out, ladies and gentlemen. I know uh, Da has put a lot of hard work into the Beer History Podcast. Not to say that he hasn't put a lot of hard work into Two Guys Drinking, but that that's in the title of Two Guys Drinking. But Beer History Podcast, I know that's been a project, of, a passion project, here for a long time now, right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely been, a, you know, I am not a, a beer aficionado, but my co-host David Pataro is, and he's also a history aficionado, so we decided to put the two together, and I'm just the the, the third wheel there. I, I'm just there to provide the, the funnies, but uh, I'm very, very proud of that podcast, and I, I really hope people watch it and enjoy it
1: and, and uh, hope to do some more. Third wheel, would that make you the designated driver of the podcast? (laughs) It is! I am the designated driver of the podcast. I'm going to start putting that in my uh, lower third. You know, know that movie, um, uh, Drive Me Crazy, with Adrian Grenier and uh, Melissa Joan Hart. Ah, Melissa Joan Hart, yes. And they had that one kid that was in there. His name was Designated Dave. (laughs) You're Designated DA. (laughs) I guess I am. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for tuning in to the podcast here. Um, we got more podcasts to come, so stay tuned on that one. <laughs> Don't forget to check out CinemaFlare. Yeah. <laughs> go to CinemaFlare.com. All the links are on there. Brand new streamlined website. Uh, very simple. Should load up way faster. It's not complex. A lot of great stuff cinemaflare.com all the links are on there i don't have to go on a big spiel about that so there you go all right on behalf of the da i'm Wade needham saying thank you for listening and rock on